Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Yay! Here we are. Hi, guys. Welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And again, this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Well, it's another day. It's another week. It is. And here we are. And here we are. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, I didn't actually ask you that when I came in. I just kind of just came in late and, and yeah. came in. And just sat down. Well, there's that. All right. So helping us on the show tonight is the one and only Bob Bontrager. There he is. <laughs> And our moderators tonight are Laura Hartley and Elaine Voss. Ooh, yay. Hello. That's trouble. Together. <laughs> and we are live. So let us know that you are watching and you can post your questions and comments there. And uh, we will try to um, give them a shout out during the show. Hello to Natalie. So she says, I can't believe I got a notification. Oh, Seth is here. Hey, Seth. You know, those YouTube algorithms don't always like to actually notify our followers. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Streaming. Tonight's show is brought to you by Impact 360, um, Birmingham Theological Seminary. No, not BTS. It, yes. They're on off code now. Oh, OK. Well, <laughs> they, we, they still help. And they're a great seminary in case you ever want to go to seminary. Um, the Center for Biblical Unity, Family 210 Clothing and Theology Mom Podcast. Yes. And I had two podcasts this week. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. I don't know what they're about, but I know. OK. Yes, you can also help support the show by liking our show, sharing our show out with a friend, share it with an enemy, ruffle some feathers. We don't care. Yeah. We say, you know, just get it out there. So also want to let everyone know about our June fundraiser this month. We have a special shirt in honor of Promise Month and No Way at Covenant Month. Won't he do it? We're going to just call a thing a thing, huh? Yeah. Go ahead. So based on Genesis 9, God's promise to humanity um, to not flood the earth again. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we could do a whole show on n the Noahic covenant in the new Testament. That would be a fun show. Anyways, I digress. My theological mind digresses. Just go to our page on customink.com, or you can find the link on our homepage at centerforbiblicalunity.com. That's the easiest way to go. And while you're there, you can sign up for our weekly dis digital newsletter. That's right. All right. So what's new? Nothing. I'm ready to get into it. Like, I'm ready to get into oh. this because, OK, so we I thought we were going to have the what's new. That's my favorite part. Oh, what's new? What's new for me? Um, let me see. Let me try to think about something. What's new for me? Uh, I spent the whole day just cleaning and I oh, absolutely loved it. Oh, like I ran some errands. And so I am a cleaner. Like, I love this, love, this love. new apartment business. Here. Love to clean, <laughs> mop all the floors, do all the laundry, fold the clothes. I love to clean. Most people don't know this about me, but I do. I really enjoy it. And I did it all day. Wow. All day. Well, good yeah. for you. Thank you. Yeah. So. We're trying yeah. to buy a car. I heard. <laughs> I heard. It's not going so well so far. Pray for them. Okay. Can we jump into it now? Okay. Because okay. on the, okay. So let me, let me back up a little bit. 
In 2020, there was a whole situation in Chicago. Yeah. And you were all on top of it. I was. You were. You don't remember? No. I, don't. I just remember 2020 just being like such a crazy time. There was so much social pressure, you know, post the black square, donate to BLM. And it, we were getting all the letters and people were going crazy. I don't know. I was working like 16, 17 hours a day. We ain't going back. We, ain't, we don't need to travel back that far. <laughs> right. But no, in 2020, there was this was whole crazy. conversation around this deli in Chicago called Nini's Deli. Yeah. And Nini's Deli were just like, we don't, we're not doing the black square. And at the time, I just thought they weren't doing the black square because they weren't trying to participate in the social crazy. I didn't realize that they were Christian. And they just stood and were like, we're not doing it. And then it came up that they were Christian and, you know, that all lives matter. And I know that that's such a phrase that kind of rattles people. It really shouldn't, yeah. but it does. It rattles everybody. And they were like, look, all lives matter. All life is created in the image of God. And they just stood. And I was like, whoa, yes, yes. And so they actually released a documentary about their whole um, Nini's, Nini's Deli story. Yeah. Two, two years ago. Yeah, I think so. Two and a half, two years ago. Yeah. And I just rewatched it on my drive here. Oh, okay. That's why I'm all riled up. Because okay. I'm like, we need, to, yeah, we need to go on and talk about this. Okay. Because I was like, yes, they are much holier than I am. Because let somebody come from my family. Y'all, y'all, we, honey, my witness, <laughs> my Christian witness might go away. We might have to call in other outside witnesses to see what really happened and went down. But... Mm, well, it's going like, to yes. be a great story of a just kind of different kind of show, not not heavy uh, intellectual, heavy theology content, but more like practical theology of how do we live out our faith in the real world. And we better be grounded because you never know when the mob's going to come for you. You better know why you're standing. Yeah, I'm going to need to like teach me how to keep my hands to myself because threatened my family, man, man. But it was, yeah, that documentary. If you haven't seen the documentary. So the um, documentary is called uh, Paint the Black Wall. Yes. Yeah. So people paint can the wall black. Paint, paint the wall black. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's on YouTube. People can check it out. All right. Let's bring on our brother in Christ, Juan Riesco. Hey, everybody. God oh, bless oh. you guys. There we go. There we go. Now we hear you. Great. It's good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super hyped to be here. Thanks for joining us. It's well, an honor. it was a funny thing how I how I met Juan was he had um, like liked or commented on one of our Instagram posts. And I was like, no way. The Nini's Deli guy follows us. I was pretty, exactly what I was pretty yeah, excited. Well, I, I can't lie. I was I was thrown off by, uh, I think, Center for Biblical Unity's um, Instagram photo because it's like different skin tones. And so you never know what that stands for. And then when I saw that it stood for actual sound theology and unity in Christ, I was like, dang, these people are on top of it. Let's go. See? Yes. Yes. Well, it's been fun. We've been trying to have him on for a few months. I'm glad we finally worked it out. So Juan, maybe give us an introduction of yeah, yourself sure. and your tell us a little bit of your, your testimony. Yeah, absolutely. So by God's grace, um, my name is Juan Elias Riesco. I'm 30 or 31, I forget, honestly. Um, 
uh, born and raised in the city of Chicago. I came to Christ out of the lifestyle of homosexuality. So I identified as a homosexual for many years of my young adult life. Uh, my older brother was a Latin king, which is a pretty prolific gang here in the city of Chicago. Uh, he got radically saved in 2013. And then he preached to the hardest people group on planet Earth to preach to, which is his immediate family. And uh, I was one of the people he preached to. And by God's grace, I got saved shortly after him. And uh, ever since then, just been on fire for the Lord since September of 2013. And around that same time, my family opened up a restaurant here in the city called Nini's Deli, a Cuban-inspired cuisine. Uh, we opened in 2011 to kind of 2012, really got the ball rolling by 2013 when I got saved. And uh, the Lord used me and our family um, to bring that restaurant from a no-name family business to the highest rated restaurant on Yelp in the city of Chicago three years in a row. 2018, 2019, and 2020, we had over nine, around 900 reviews on Yelp with a five-star average by the grace of God. And then everything kind of changed uh, June of 2020, as you guys know. Yeah. Wow. And it, it changed drastically. You know, so much of your testimony you also share in the documentary. So I know like you hit on, you know, you've come out of the homosexual lifestyle and your brother was in this gang and, you know, all of these things, your mom is in it. And so, again, if you would like to see more information about Juan, about his family, check out that documentary because it's very, very good. But tell us prior to 2020, what was life like for you and for your family? How are you guys supporting um, your community and spreading the gospel? Yeah. So, you know, I, I had um, so my brother was like the radical street preacher. Um, well, really just biblical street preacher. And I was always like the guy who was like um, trying to be behind the scenes and really trying to like fund. My heart was like always to fund mission um, ministries and really help put wind behind like ministries wings to, for in a sense and i always thought i was going to be just the business guy you know i thought that's what god wanted for me and so by god's grace uh, my pastor testifies in the documentary that there was nobody who brought as many people to church as me uh, i was able to really share the love of christ through our business i operated under a philosophy um that i would treat every single person that walked into our business as jesus himself and so I would literally like envision the head of Christ on people and we would just serve people to the best of our ability. And that was really what people wrote about, like in our reviews, um, just that the food was amazing and that the service was great. And we just operated as serve people how we would serve Christ. Um, and so life was, man, I'm not going to lie. God really blessed us and gave us a great life. Um, and uh, it was rather cushy, honestly, way cushier than I deserved. Um, and then, yeah, things just came to a change. And I, I realized that God was asking me to choose uh, ministry. I'm sorry, um, you know, serving him fully with my heart, soul, mind and strength or continue with the business in 2020. I really think that was like the predicament I was put in, like bow down to Black Lives Matter, keep your business or stand mm -hmm. for Christ and lose it all. Then you even had like deals with nike and nike and 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 other. I mean, tell us about that. Like we want to really paint yeah. the picture here that that you were known in your community and yeah. there were corporations that were paying attention to you. And like soccer team and stuff like that, right? Like, yeah, I'm not making know, it I up. Guess, I think we got to a point where people really saw us as kind of like the American dream. You know, both of my parents are immigrants to America. My grandfather is a, was a slave in Cuba um, to the Communist Party. And we kind of had this like, you know, started from the bottom kind of American dream story that 
a lot of corporations really clung on to. Um, so yeah, so by God's grace, I did get to design two Nike shoes during my time uh, in the business. The, my, I did about a decade in, in business. Um, I helped Adidas launch their biggest flagship, flagship store in America. They reached out to me to help promote it and um, kind of get people excited about it. Uh, you know, I, I've done um, Apple keynote presentations at the Apple store. Uh, I've denied TED Talk opportunities, you know, um, just people wanting us to really share the story of our business and how we got to where we were. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people came around. It's like you said, a soccer team. That's the Chicago Fire. It's the major league soccer team, the MLS soccer team here in Chicago. They were wanted to give me uh, literally like a week before they canceled me. They were like calling me to give me a free, um, you know, the booths, I don't even know what they're called, like top deck booths for my whole family for the whole season. You know, I don't think I've even gone to a major league soccer game before, but God had just really opened up a lot of doors for us um, because of the success that we had in the business. You know, he we we had a lot of favor in, in our city. There's no doubt about that. Wow. But then, like you said, pretty quickly, uh, George <laughs> Floyd happens. Yeah. And so walk us through kind of the events of that week that yeah. you went from great favor in your community, great favor yeah. with corporations to being completely canceled. Yeah, well, I have so my family, I, I, I mentioned that my family um, are refugees. Well, my father's side is refugees. My mother's side is immigrants to America. Um, my father's side, you know, they, they come from communist Cuba and I have was really raised under the paradigm better dead than red so better dead than to be a communist and that, that was kind of from my father you know he just always taught me how bad it was and how wicked it was and my father mind you was born in cuba and in america converted to islam so he was a muslim in america uh for 20 30 years before he gave his life to christ on his basically on his deathbed and my muslim father is who taught me that and um you know, so even before I was a Christian, I just always knew that. So I saw the the communistic essence to BLM from the beginning. Um, and I, and mind you, I was saved, but I, you know, my, again, I, I do give my father um, just the respect and teaching me that. And so I knew from the moment BLM really started and that I really saw it in mainstream media and things like that, that I wasn't for it. And uh, as a Christian, it just was impossible to be involved with something that was so antithetical to Christian beliefs. And when black george floyd situation happened um and all the so many businesses in chicago were instantly you know putting up the black square posting the receipts of how much money they were donating to the black lives matter movement i i just was i knew for sure that i couldn't do it i, I just i knew for sure um and i just did what i wasn't quite sure of was how it was going to pan out though because i saw every business getting forced into or not forced they were kind of willingly and some were coerced really. Um, but saw so many businesses going that way. So I knew it was just a matter of moments until they were going to ask me. And so talk to us about, you know, what happened um, as you saw those businesses around you kind of going along with BLM, what happened um, to, to your business? How was it targeted? Yeah. So um, I think it was like the day after, like I saw some things floating around Twitter and they were like, hey, have you guys noticed how silent Nini's has been? Have you, have, you know, and then I saw like these, this, this kind of um, conversation trending, like, have you noticed like how Nini's hasn't said anything? And I thought to myself, I was like, OK, I definitely have to say something 
And so I, I hit up um, uh, one of the beloved sisters from our church um, who does a lot of the admin work. And I was like, sister, can you write something for me that talks about like Jesus and how we believe that black lives matter? Cause we believe all lives matter, you know, like just something that was kind of like middle of the line, like very clearly we're Christian. So we're not going to do that, but we do like believe those things, you know, but like not in the same, from the same framework that you guys do. Um, so she did, and it was awesome. And we made the post and I was like, dude, you killed it. It's so good. It's totally like shares what we believe. We believe all lives are made in the image of God. You know, we stand against injustice because the Bible tells us to, not because a movement tells us to. And so we put that out and I thought it was great, but I, I kind of should have known that it wouldn't appease them, but we put it out and boom, like a bomb dropped is what it felt like. And there was comment after comment, after comment, after comment, like, wow. This wasn't good enough. Start donating. Open up your bank account. Send the money. We're protesting tomorrow. You guys don't, you guys are hurting black lives. You guys are killing black people. We were like, what in the world? We really, I mean, I I like I I knew somewhere in the back of my mind that it really wasn't good enough, but it was a true, what I believe a, a true biblical position that we posted. Well, let me, yeah, I've got it pulled up here mm -hmm. and i don't think bob's got it for the screen but let me um look at it sure. and it's on the documentary if people want to see the post itself it's at the 18 minute 16 second um mark in the documentary and it is a screen cap of your instagram post and it's so well crafted yeah. and and very theologically well, solid enough. you know and um, it says Nini's Deli believes that all people were created in the image of God. We're created equal. Yeah, created equal in the image of God. We do not promote or agree with racism or hatred of any kind. In light of the current events, look at Bob. He's got it up there for us. In light of the current events, we want to let our city and nation know that we mourn with you. We pray for justice for George Floyd's family, friends, and the entire community that is hurting. We believe that all black lives matter. And we know that only God can bring about justice that is deserved. As a Christian, we stand against all injustice and will always serve our communities with love, grace, and integrity, no matter your race, gender, or background. We apologize for not making this statement sooner. We want to serve you, Chicago. I mean, whoever wrote that, like, hats off to them that is Again. a very solid statement um but that wasn't quite enough for the for the mob that's it, right it wasn't it definitely wasn't enough but i think during that time nothing was enough like short mm -hmm. of you you know admitting your racism and then paying whatever dues the mob said you owed mm -hmm. nothing was going to appease the mob and you and your family really took a stand to say, we're not going to appease the mob. Can you tell us like a little bit of what went into that decision? Like if I could have been a fly on the wall, like what did that sound like? So the interesting thing is what a lot of people don't know is not in the documentary is that the Lord had really been working on me uh, in that regard for a while. So um, for example, um, just to give some brief, just brief background. So I had had an opportunity to franchise my business with a pretty big franchise organization. And the first uh, of the franchise locations was going to be in the Sears Tower, which is Chicago's biggest building in our downtown area. And they're doing this whole remodel of downtown. And my second look, my, my first location for the franchise was going to be in there. Long story short, I'm 
months into paperwork with these people and um, the organization hits me up and they're like, hey, we saw a post that you liked on Facebook. And I was like, okay. And they were like, it says that you believe that all other religions are damnable and only Christianity is the true religion. And I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course, that's what I believe. They were like, well, our investors are Muslim and Jews and things like this. Like, if you believe that, you can't, you, we, how could we possibly work together? And I was like, well, praise God that you, we discovered this before I signed my papers. Like literally tomorrow I was going to submit then. Let's go separate ways now. So here I was like 26 years old and God had already put that predicament in front of me. And so my prayers moving forward was always, God, take this business away from me if it's not what you want. Like if it's, if this is getting away in a way, the way of me serving you, Lord, like take this away. I don't, I don't want it, you know? And so God had already been preparing me for that. And so when BLM came banging on my doors, my wife will testify. I looked at her right in our, right in the, I remember I was sitting in our bedroom. I looked at her and I said, babe, it's about to go down. And she was like, are you sure you should, you should post it? And I'm like, I have to, I have to. She's like, don't you want to call pastor? I'm like, I know what pastor's going to say. He's going to say, stand for Jesus. And so I just hit submit and I was like, here we go. And uh, the Lord wow. did what he, what he does. So you start getting a lot of, I'm imagining bad reviews on Yelp. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So the Yelp reviews came banging through like one star, one star, one star. The Google reviews banging through. My phone was getting blown up. Everyone's saying, we're protesting you tomorrow. We're protesting you. You better be ready. We're coming. People were literally commenting that you're going to die tomorrow. Um, we're going to kill the baby in your wife's womb. Like you're killing black lives. You're a murderer. All these obscenities. That's crazy. See, that's when I said they was holier than me, father. Mm. <laughs> I, I need I need that. I need that dose of holiness. So uh, just a few of on the in the documentary, there's a few screen caps of some of the messages that mm -hmm. you got. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty rough. And they were definitely coming for you. The mob was coming. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But, you know, what's interesting and you point this out in the documentary is that it wasn't just the BLM mob. I feel like in in listening to the documentary and even watching the footage, the BLM mob was minor. It was the mob from the 666. It was the mob of those who were against Christianity and so many other things. Mm -hmm. Was that like, is that true to the reality of the documentary that the majority of people who came out were really against your faith stand? Yeah, so the, the protesting that they did was really twofold. The first day that came out, was the people that were absolutely, I mean, they're all God haters, but the ones that came out day one were specifically there because they hate God and my testimony. And there's, because of our success, there was a lot of rumors about me because of my past homosexual lifestyle. And so many men that I slept with would, you know, really gossip about me, like, oh, he's not really that, you know, he used to be with me or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I was with you and now I'm with Jesus who saved me and he can save you too. And so that was like kind of a popular thing that people loved to talk about me. And I mean, I understand like it's crazy in our day and age to see, although it's common, but it's crazy for the world to see, you know, a sinner saved by grace. They can't even comprehend it. And neither could I until Christ saved me. And so that first day, it was people with 666 flags. It was people holding signs saying, you're still gay. 
And it was a lot of, honestly, gay shaming and God bashing day one. Day two, they organized the whole Black Lives Matter protest. Thousands of people to come right in front of my business. Wow. Okay, we're going to put a little bookmark there. We're going to take a one minute break and hear from our friends at Impact 360. And then we're going to come back and hear what happened to Juan's business and what he is up to today. So sit tight. We're going to see you in one minute. Change isn't going to come just because you want it to. Change comes because you are intentionally taking steps to making that change. I aspire to be someone who continues to build bridges with other cultures and who cultivates a community that's healthy and honoring to the Lord and life-giving. Now after the program, I feel like I know what my purpose is and I know what I want to do going out into the world and how to not have this time to step back and just kind of be patient and be still and just listen. I don't think I would have had that same clarity. In this world, it's kind of like in a scream contest. Who can scream the loudest? And who's going to listen to that person yelling the loudest? And that person should be God, but he's not yelling. He's calling us. My hope going forward to interact with culture is to tell people like, hey, like, be still. Listen to this guy is calling you. He's calling you home. For more information about Impact 360, you can go to their website at impact360.com. No, it's a uh, three. I, it, I know because they always they change. Three sixty institute three sixty or something. That's so messed up. That's so messed up. We're sorry. Impact three sixty dot work. I'm not on my game today, people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been cleaning all day. It's the, it's the chemical fumes, bleach. <laughs> you know, if you are like, if you have a young person in your life and you want them to be grounded in their worldview, though seriously, Impact three sixty is really the place to get them to that next step in their worldview understanding and understanding what a historically Christian, Orthodox Christian worldview is. We want to raise young people who are able to stand. This tonight show is a perfect example of what does it mean to stand? What does it mean to count the costs and to stand? And you aren't able really to stand if you don't really know what your worldview is and what's your reason for standing. So check out Impact 360. Yeah, and the time to figure out your worldview is not when BLM is knocking on your door. You, you got to be solid already and know what time it is with your faith. All right. Yes. So, okay, we are now, we're at the riot. We are here. The, the protesters have shown up. Where is your family? So I have personal questions. I need to know, where was your family? How did you maintain your composure when they came for the family? Yeah, well, my wife and kid and daughter at the time and uh, son in the womb were stationed at a friend's house because we had already moved out of our apartment because of the protesting was just so bad, like day one. So we had already moved our family out of the apartment. We were in a more like suburban area of the city. And so I, I had peace in my heart knowing that they weren't at home already. So, Oh, good. Good. Um, there was a, a place in the documentary where you guys had to have like police escorts. Oh, and things yeah. Like so that. You couldn't get out of the building. Like the yeah. building was surrounded by protesters. Police had to bang through the door because they and then they like were like, we're going to get you guys out. And then they yeah escorted us out. Oh. <laughs> so did they just... Did you board up your your deli? Did they burn it down? Like walk us through kind of what yeah. happened and what you had to live through there. 
Yeah, so um, we never went home after that. When the police escorted us out, we never we we never returned home until a year later. So mm. um, the protesting got so bad. Uh, like I said, the second day was thousands. We boarded up the building like that night. We had a friend of ours come and do it. Um, they were burning things, but they didn't burn down the building. They were burning things that they purchased from our business um, because we sold T-shirts and hats and stuff like that. And so they were burning them and throwing them at the business. Um, and um, yeah, so... Because the death threats really never stopped, um, they leaked our addresses. Um, they hacked into my Chase account, the Chase Bank account. They hacked our websites. Um, basically, everything I owned was compromised. I was I changed my phone number like the same day and was getting messages the same day. Um, so we decided to flee. It just didn't seem safe in Chicago. My pastor even thought it was a good idea. Like, man, you guys should just get out of here. Like, go to get a hotel or something something um and we just fled we, we just got in our cars i had a pregnant wife a six-month-year-old daughter my brother was fleeing with us he has he had two daughters and a pregnant wife at the time and um we all just got in our cars and just drove and we just prayed and asked the holy spirit like what should we do where should we go and we all just kind of sensed the lord leading us uh to just go south so we ended up in texas <laughs> about a week later or so um, where we, by God's grace, lived for the next year, and we planted a church there. And so, by God's grace, the church is still going good. And uh, my older brother and uh, our pastor still lives down there today. So here's a question. What was it that made you guys say, you know what, we are going to stand? Because even though you moved, which is wisdom, even in the moving you didn't change your story. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm we sorry, and I got to go. What'd you say? Yeah, We doubled down. After yeah. they came harder, we doubled down. So when they told us they were going to protest, we said, if y'all are going to protest, then we're going to preach. So the day that they came to protest, we didn't just hide inside the restaurant. We grabbed our speakers and our microphones, and we preached the gospel to the, the mob and uh, shared the love of Christ with them. We shared John 3.16, of course. We read through like Romans chapter one, which, you know, ev any good Christian should know. It's a great verse to read, great chapter to read to the to Black Lives Matter, any sinner, but to the mob specifically. Um, and, and I would say what made us do it, man, there's a Bible verse that really speaks to me so much. And uh, I believe it's Paul. And he says, we didn't give in to them, not even for a moment. And he's talking about people who corrupt the gospel and that he doesn't give in to them not even for a moment so that the gospel could be preserved and so we thought to ourselves i thought really thought to myself like this is a moment to preserve truth in our city this is a moment to really be salt like i felt like it was a moment that even though my father wasn't christian for most of his life i felt like he would have been so proud of me like the moment i got to stand against the communist revolution you know and and by god's grace i didn't bow so i just i just kept thinking about it from like um, like a church history perspective, you know, like this is the moment and it was all by his grace. Wow. So walk us through the aftermath. You're, you kind of flee the state, you go down to Texas mm -hmm. and you're planning a church, but I can imagine that this was traumatic for you, your family, your wife. I mean, did you struggle with anger? Did you, I mean, how did you, you know, talk to us a little bit about that aftermath or did you did you kind of know from the beginning like, hey, we're going to get past this and and you were just seeking the Lord for the next thing? 
Yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a lot of tears. There, there t- totally was. And there was a lot of pain, a lot of crying, a lot of uh, anger at some points. I wouldn't say um, that we necessarily had anger towards BLM, but just kind of angry at the situation. Uh, it just kind of felt like we really got robbed. Um, but, you know, everywhere I went, like every time I would get lost in those feelings, you know, the Lord would either speak to me through his word, uh, through the Bible, or, you know, through other believers, like in a sense where Christians would hear the story. This was before the documentary came out and they would be so encouraged and they would be so blessed and they would like thank me. And it was so weird. I was like, man, you're right. This is a powerful story. You know, before we really like kind of were, had a 30,000 foot view of it all, you know, when we were still like in the thick of it so many Christians would come around us and man, God really provided for us every step of the way. I I went from owning the number one rated restaurant in Chicago to working at um, like a a random coffee shop in a small town in Texas that was paying me $8 an hour. Mm. And I just am so blessed because God literally never let us down. Like every couple of days, a random person who I didn't know would email me and just be like, I heard about your story all the way in, you know, nowheresville. And man, our family's so blessed by you. And that would just fire me up so much. And it really showed me the magnitude of the testimony even before the documentary came out and how much God was going to use it. And so the Lord brought me a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. And I mean, the whole situation, just the way that he got, he brought you guys through. Um, And even the result of this situation ended up planting a church, you know, in a whole nother state. That's crazy. Um, But walk us through like today, where are you at now? Where's your family at now? Have you been able to, I don't don't know if you even want to list your location. It might not, still might not be safe and that's fine. But um, you know, where are you guys now? Yeah. Yeah. So after a year of living in Dallas, I really sensed the Lord leading me back to Chicago to give the restaurant another try. And so we did, we gave it a whirl. So June of 2020, we closed July of 21. We gave it another shot. I moved back from Dallas to Chicago. Um, and truly the mob just didn't forget. Um, every couple of days we'd get dog feces thrown at our door, 10 bad reviews, people cussing us out as we walk out of the business, uh, bike riders cussing out our customers as they're leaving. And it was just so bad. Uh, people would, like I said, fling dog poop at us at, at the business, like basically strategically have their dogs urinate on our business. It was just so nasty and so vile. And I just couldn't, I couldn't put my family through it anymore. And so um, then July of 22, so a whole a year after we gave it a second try, we did decide to close it again. Um, around that same time, I had got asked to preach at a at a conference that was all about abolishing abortion in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, they actually aired the documentary and then they had me speak and give kind of a word of encouragement. Um, and I come back home um, that that uh, after I, I spoke at that conference and I really just told I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I'm going to preach at the abortion clinics once a week. Uh, I really feel like that's that's what you want my ministry to be, you know, really bringing the gospel, the truth of the gospel to these abortion clinics in Chicago. And um, shortly after I gave the Lord that word, that that my word that I wanted to do that, um, we closed the business the second time. And I got reached out to by this ministry, Love Life Ministries. Uh, and they basically said, hey, we're looking for somebody who's willing to to preach the gospel outside of abortion clinics once a week. 
And I was like, what in the world? That's what I just promised the Lord I wanted to do. I was like, yeah, I would love to. So um, that's one of the one of the things I do with the ministry is, is that. And so that's what I do now by God's grace. I'm, I'm a, a, a director in the city of Chicago for Love Life Ministries. Wow. I want to read a comment that's on Facebook. Um, and just as, a, as an encouragement, Natalie. That's on YouTube. I think. It's on YouTube. Sorry, not Facebook. Um, Natalie, she is a dear sister in the Lord and um, follower of our ministry here at the Center for Biblical Unity. And she writes in, she says, Juan is an example of what we should be not I mean, but so many Christian leaders have chosen not to stand in the word with courage, but instead they have caved to the culture to be winsome. And that is so true. Your testimony is just an awesome, awesome example of how to stand or, you know, even if you're not sure exactly what standing is going to look like, don't cave. Stand, don't agree with the world, don't agree with, you know, a secular communistic, you know, association or government or, you know, way of being in order to not be doxxed or canceled or things like that. We have to trust God more than what we would trust man. But yeah, I think your testimony is so strong because what you did was firmly grounded in your beliefs as a Christian. You were informed, you knew your position and you, you didn't waver because there's, there was strong pressure and I, I'm going to call it emotional extortion that was happening back then is like the mafia. If you don't, you don't bow, we're going to do this to you. And you've basically uncanceled yourself uh, through trusting the Lord, really. And this is the piece of your story that I don't want people to miss because so many letters that we got over the last few years were like, well, I don't know how to stand because it's going to make my life complicated or it's going to be very costly. Yeah. What I love about your story is you are concerned about standing first mm. and trusting the Lord mm. to make provision for your family even though you, there were probably moments you didn't know what tomorrow would be, literally. Yeah. I don't know, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a point of time where we literally had no place to live to or to call our own. And um, we were like, uh, well, we were staying in an Airbnb, but, you know, we, we only had the clothing that was on our back, plus some clothing that was in a bag that we had brought from our house. Um and then we were like applying for apartments, but you know, I didn't even have a job in Texas and it, and I'm sure many people know that Texas is a place many people are moving to. So the house market is just like crazy. Things go up for rent and they're gone in, in moments. And man, by God's grace, this apartment opened up and, and they let us in for some reason, even though I had no job and no, they were like, why are you here? I'm like, uh, we just moved here, you know? And I took this picture of my daughter, um, because we had no furniture by God's grace. We had nailed locked down an apartment for a city that we knew nothing of in a state that we had never been to um, because we had just ran away from Chicago, a city that we loved and grew up in. And my daughter's pillow was a towel from the Airbnb and her blanket was another towel from the Airbnb. And she's sleeping on the floor of this apartment in Texas. And she's so peaceful. And she just had joy of the Lord on her face and she was resting well. And I remember looking at her and just 
envisioning myself in her and thinking like, that's, I believe that's a symbol of how God's going to take care of our family. We're going to be able to rest and we're going to maybe not have, you know, extremely nice things or whatever have you, but we'll have a pillow and a blanket. They might be towels, but they will be a pillow and a blanket. And that's exactly what God did. He provided for us every single step of the way. We never, never sought first my job where I was going to be employed. My wife was pregnant. We never focused on that. We just knew that God had guided us to where we were at that moment. And then he would absolutely provide for us. And and that he did. Amen. That's, that is amazing. What advice would you share with people who may be afraid to stand publicly or maybe afraid to share the gospel publicly because they don't want to enter into this area that is very rough where they can be canceled or doxxed or, or they might offend yeah. someone. Yeah. Yeah. The beautiful thing about um, being persecuted for the Lord, if you want to call what I went through persecution or doxing, whatever have you is that scripture is totally on our side. The Bible says time and time again, blessed are those, blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are persecuted, and when people say all kinds of evil things against you in my name, for great is your reward in heaven, and that is how they treated the prophets before you. And so the encouragement is God's word. The Bible says that we get to partner with the disciples in in, in a unique way, in a way that we get to share in this experience that they got to experience, this experience of being persecuted. Paul says in Philippians that Christ has called us not just to live for him, but to suffer for him. And so it's part of our calling, it's part of our election, if you will. You're elected to serve Jesus, then you're also elected to be persecuted for him. Jesus's own words, you will be hated by everyone for me because of me, but whoever stands firm will be saved. So we have to remember that. The Bible promises us this. If we don't get persecuted, it's like, then God's word's not coming true. And he is a, he's a God of his word. So we have to endure these types of things. And like I said, the encouragement is scripture tells us to rejoice and, and that we get to partner with the original disciples in this. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And you get to learn about God in a whole new way. Wow. What, that's a great word. And I, I appreciate that. And I guess I'm wondering, maybe you might share a little bit about what you've learned from this experience. If you were to talk to 2019 Juan, uh, what would you tell him of? uh... Oh man, I didn't (laughs) see that question on the, on the question. (laughs) A little curveball there. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Well, okay. So I actually have thought about this in a way now that I think about it and (laughs) I've had people ask me this now that I think about it, I'm recalling it. And my answer is so simple. When BLM comes to your door, go harder. Mm. <laughs> I wish, I almost wish I didn't put out that like pseudo politically correct Christian statement that we all complimented earlier. I wish I would have just said repent or perish. <laughs> wow. I've actually thought about that and, that, and I would have preached more distinctly and more clearly in my original message. Mm. Oh, that's good. Wow. That's good. Wow. Yeah, because I had to go and nuance it. If you read the comments of, I don't know if the post is still up, but if you read the comments, I had to nuance it. They were like, well, what is all Black Lives Matter? I'm like, that means the Black Lives in the womb that you guys kill. That's what yeah. that means. 
that's what that means. So I had to like go and nuance it. So I was like, man, I wish I just would have went harder that first time and would have just explained sin leads you to hell. Grace leads you to heaven. Like, I wish I would just laid that out, you know? Mm. Amen. Yes, that's that's good, man. Yeah. I feel like I need to take a class. Just <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm I'm pretty strong, but I mean, yeah, I need to take a class. Like class and step one would be keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> class and step two would be something else. Well, I don't know. I I probably have to repeat class one a couple times. It I'd was definitely the training that, by God's grace, my church had been uh, like allowing me to train. It's 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 because I had experience in street preaching. Not as much as I I do now. Three years later, I have three times more, I would mm-hmm. say. But by God's grace, I was really raised in a ministry that goes to the streets, preaches the gospel publicly, brings the, the good news to the city squares. Um, and that's what our ministry is founded upon. Um, and I would say by his grace, through those experiences, the Lord had really already been training and pruning me on how not to be um, like reaction driven mm-hmm. when doing this evangelism or apologetic work to, to really try, be on the offense end in that sense. And, um, and so I would say the Lord had been training me in that as well. It's definitely not something I picked up overnight. It was all by God's grace, um, through the power of the spirit. And, you know, he used those experiences for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So if you got a link to that class, you let me know. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me, let me ask you this uh, in your experience in street preaching. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to, it's, it's a little unusual. Uh, in this day and age, I would, I'm just curious, um, to, to hear a little bit more about that. I know it's not on our questions, but you know, what, when you go out, what do you do and what kind of fruit do you see that, that comes from that? That's a great question. And the fruit is the word of God going forth, which we know the Bible says will never return void. And I think about the prophet Jeremiah who saw zero fruit in 40 years of ministry and So what I always tell people who ask that question is, even if there was no fruit that we could see, it would still be worth it because it's an act of obedience. And the Bible tells us that the Lord commands us to go to the highways and byways and preach the good news and invite all people into the the Lamb's Supper, into the wedding banquet, excuse me. And so the fruit is an act of obedience, which we know the Lord honors more than sacrifice. Um, But we also see other fruit, we have seen many people become disciples of the Lord who are now serving in our in our ministry. Um, we see many people repent for their sins and message us later saying that they've, you know, uh, perhaps connected with a, their a local church again and things like this. And specifically in, in regards to Love Life Ministries, um, by God's grace, we've helped 14 moms in the last four months choose life. Wow. And that was all by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of Chicago's busiest abortion clinic. That's awesome. My goodness. Yeah. What a what a wonderful report. I know, right? Yeah. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, um, yeah. The last four months the Lord has used us uh through through street proclamation of the gospel, see 14 moms choose life. That's 14 babies saved from being slaughtered. Yes, that's awesome. Especially when you know, y- you started out with saying and this whole thing started because all black life matters, including black life in the womb. That's and right. Abortion kills more black life than any other, you know, method of death in America today. Yeah. And so so here's here's a a point that I'm only able to see because hindsight is 2020. But one of the young men who had a big 
part in organizing the Black Lives Matter protests around my business was actually a close friend of mine. And I still love him. And he might even watch this. And if he does, I just want him to know that I do care about him and want him to be saved. And about three months before he organized, had a hand in organizing the protests around my business, he actually came to me because he was going to abort his baby. And he confessed to me that, you know, his girlfriend has uh, is high risk, which being in this ministry, I now know these wicked doctors tell a large amount of women that they're high risk when it's just nonsense because they make more money off abortions. Um, but anyways, he tells, I don't want to uh, downplay her disease, but you know, that that's what the doctor said. And so he said, it's better for us to abort. And I said, man, I believe if God gave you that baby, he's going to, he, he has the power to allow your girlfriend to come full term and for you to keep that baby. And I said, can I pray for her with you? And I did. And by God's grace, he has a son right now. And that's the same gentleman that organized, had a major part in organizing the protests mm. around. And then fast forward three years later, this is the ministry the Lord brings me to. So, But that's the Christian way is that, and this is a wonderful example of what Jesus really means when he says to love our enemies, is that even though this person played an instrumental role in destroying, you know, your business, that the fact that you could still reach out and love for him, bring the gospel, help his son to live, this this is how we do it. And sometimes we need somebody to go before us and show us the way so that when we are under pressure, we have somebody to point to and say, this, this is the way. This, this is the real Christian way of doing it. So thank you for sharing that. Juan, before we go, we have a question on YouTube from Melissa. Okay. She's a new, I think she's a newer follower. So. But she's here a lot and I love it. I am here <laughs> for it, Melissa. Um, she says, I'm a little confused still. I totally understand that the people persecuting Juan's family need to repent. But why does saying Black Lives Matter require repentance? I'm oh, genuinely unsure. Wow. Awesome. I would love to answer that. And Melissa, the, the reason is, is because words have meaning and words have context. And so the context and uh, of when you, the statement Black Lives Matter is referring to an organization that props itself up against the word of God. And so the Black Lives Matter organization, which is what we're affirming when we say that statement, um, has made public statements saying that they are a Marxist militia, uh, that they stand against the nuclear family, which is the family that God has ordained on this earth, and that they strive to deconstruct uh, the Christian ethos in America. And so when we make that statement, we have to understand what it's attached to. And um, if you're saying it out of ignorance, I believe God is merciful. Um, but if you're saying it because you fully believe in this organization, then you are marrying yourself to ungodly doctrines. And and in that, in that regard, a person would need to repent um, because they are uh, placing themselves perpendicular to the word of God. Well said. Well said. No one is denying the value of black life. We right. don't, though, vault black life above any other life Correct. because all life is created in the image of God. Yeah. 
And Melissa, I put a link in the chat there for you to the web archive of the Black Lives Matter webpage that contains the statements that Juan was just saying. So if you want to check those receipts, you can do that. Our moderators have also posted. Because those statements have been scrubbed from the BLM website. Oh, so uh, this is the archive site? That's the archive Wayback Machine, where I like to point to people. Uh, and um, I also posted a link there to a monthly partner video we did back in 2020, where Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of Black Lives Matters, um, talks about African spiritualism and witchcraft as being part of their their mission. And so you can see all of those receipts. We're not making any um, slanderous claims against them. We're, we're allowing their words to truly speak for themselves in context and providing you the, that information. But great question. Yeah. Great question. Such a good question. Yeah. All right, Juan. Well, thank you so thank much. You. And an once again, uh, if you want to find out more about Juan's story, you can look up the documentary about him and his family paint the wall black it's available on youtube and also want to have bob put up on the screen here your website your ministry website of lovelife.org do you want to tell us a little bit about that sure sure absolutely so love life is a ministry focused on um uniting and mobilizing local churches around life we believe that abortion can come to an end that means abolished, not incrementally, but fully, um, when God's people really take a stand against it um, in unity. And so by God's grace, um, I have been able to help bring out over 300 born-again believers to the front steps of Chicago's busiest abortion clinic since uh, February when we launched to pray and to worship the Lord. And then, as I mentioned, since launching in February, we've also helped save 14 babies from being slaughtered. Uh, we're at about 4,500 babies saved across the nation, and we're at close to a quarter million born-again Christians praying and worshiping the Lord outside of abortion clinics across the nation. So God is really using this ministry and um, using me here in Chicago in a new way now. All right, That's good. amazing. Well, thank you All so right. much, Juan, for hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. Thanks, God bless. God bless you. Thanks. All right, Brother Juan Riesco. That was a wonderful conversation. He's very encouraging. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do here? No, I was reading the comments because oh. um, our dear friend, I believe that's Gillian, said, um, I didn't realize that link was from the BLM website. And Oopsie. I was like, oh, CFBU updated things. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> No, that's, no, that's not us. That's not us. That is not us. If you ever see us like that, you need to stop. Stop following us. Run the other way. Unhook. Yeah. Mm -mm. Disconnect. Yeah. Don't follow us down that rabbit hole. No, no, no. Oh, that was good boy. stuff. Yeah, I that was love, really good. Like, I just love his stand and the courage. Like, the call to courage is just. Yes. Yeah. But I also love his humility and, you know, is deference for the Lord and, and seeing the Lord's hand through it all. So it's really, yeah. really cool. Okay. You ready to do the, the second conversation? Let's do it. All right. So we're going from the, the sublime and the beautiful to the absolutely insane. Well, these actually go together. <laughs> they, they go together because I believe Juan's entire, you know, 
conversation was a conversation of courage. Yeah. And I believe that what we're about to talk about now is going to require a lot of courage. It's going to require people to have some courage, especially if you're in the crazy land of California. Um, but don't think that just because what we talk about here in California, don't don't think that that's just in California. That, that has no yeah. bearing on your life. And, and yeah, like, oh, I'm in Tennessee, so I'm safe. Or, oh, I'm in Kentucky, I'm safe. No, just know that it might just take, you know, a year or two longer to get there, but it's coming. Now, we talked about a bill last week we about, about children. Yeah. And maybe something else. Yeah. So now you've done more research and we have another crazy bill to talk about. If scrolling TikTok <laughs> is considered research, then yes, I did. So you read the bill last night. Yeah, I read a good, good majority of the bill. It is Assembly Bill 665. Is that it? Or yeah, 666? this is in the state of California. Six, six, six. <laughs> it's one digit away. Yeah, I'm just saying. All right. So this is in the state of California. So if people want to go look it up, they can. Uh, and here again is Senator Weiner. I think he's he was the guy that was on the bill last week as a co-sponsor. No, this is. I thought this was Wendy Carrillo. No, but see, principal co-author Senator Weiner's back. It's a very unfortunate name. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say Weiner, but oh no, it's Weiner. I'm pretty sure. I should repent. Okay. <laughs> Uh, as soon as we get done with the show, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go. Keep going. Cause I'm about to derail us into a whole okay. other land. So the setup here is that it right now, if you're 12 and over, you can receive mental health services with parent help. But now this bill is being amended. My understanding is that if you're 12 and older, you can get help, health, mental health services without parent consent. So here's the thing. Any child can get mental health services. Okay. Like you can, you can, you know, as long as you have parent consent and there's, you know, reason for you to need to go to counseling or, you know, mental health, some kind of mental health service. If you have um, oppositional defiant disorder or if you've experienced something traumatic and so you need to go and um, have some kind of therapy or some modality, you know, in regards to like mental health, you don't, there's, it's not like, you know, oh, I, I have to wait. You know, I had this traumatic experience at five and now I have to wait until I'm 10 in order to be able to receive mental health service. What this bill is doing is saying that by, at the age of 12, for young people 12 and older, they should, if this bill passed, they would be allowed to request those services without the assistance of a parent. So and... They would also be allowed to request to move out of their parents' home into emergency placement, like an emergency group home, which I so used to- So put yourself in foster care? Ba basically, but emergency an emergency group home placement is not technically foster care. Okay. I used to work for um, Boys and Girls Town okay. in their emergency placement. Ooh, this was moons ago. I mean, seasons and eons ago. But the what people don't understand is that these emergency placements- Honey, you're not going to the Ritz-Carlton. You're not even going to like the Best Western. This is not the Hilton, Marriott, nothing. This is, you are in, in this house with a bunch of kids who have all kinds of issues and problems and you don't know where they've come from and what their past is. And now because you think your parents didn't want to give you an allowance, 
you need to move out. Here's what the bill is actually saying. Okay. And I want to make sure that we we give the full context for what I've just said. So Bob's going to put on the screen. Bob, scroll down to like the third paragraph, if you can. There we go. Where it says existing law for some purposes. All right. So I'm going to read this part. Existing law for some purposes requires that the mental health treatment or counseling include the involvement of the minor's parent or guardian. So that's the current law. Uh -huh. It requires parent or guardian involvement. Uh -huh. um, unless the professional person treating or counseling the minor determines that involvement would be inappropriate. Yes. So, so if, what is inappropriate? It, let's say I am being abused by one or both of my parents. Okay. And so here I am. I am In now, the traditional definition of abuse. Yes. Okay. Traditional definition of abuse. Let's say I report that to my teacher. Social worker comes out. They, um, you know, talk to my parent. We find out that, yes, you know, little Monique has been abused by parents. It is in her best interest for her safety and well-being being to be removed from her home, they then would be able to start some kind of counseling service. Even if your parents haven't technically lost their parental rights, these are services that you would receive while in the custody of the state. That is what the existing um, laws are some of them not going like full into detail, but this is what is surrounding some of this conversation. What would now be put in place through AB 60, 665 is that little Monique could be removed from her home because Monique requested it. Monique could receive counseling simply because little Monique requested it without the parents consent based on, on the child's um, competence. So if someone has deemed this child to be competent at 12 and they seem like they are intelligent at 12, they would be given good reason or good, good um, support potentially to be able to receive mental health services, especially in regards to gender. This bill is specifically targeting those who identify as LGBTQ plus and um, minority youth. Specifically minority blacks, Latinos and indigenous people. Um, and I want to read the part that says that Existing law requires the involvement of the parent or guardian. So the existing law requires the involvement of the parent or guardian. Unless the professional person is treating or counseling the minor after consulting with the minor determines that the involvement would be inappropriate. Okay. This bill would align the existing laws by requiring the professional person treating or counseling the minor to consult with the minor before determining whether the involvement of the minor's parents or guardian would be appropriate. So your interpretation of that is that the parents could be cut out yes. of the process. Mm -hmm. So the parents no longer would be weighing in rather this psychologist, mental health professional would only weigh in the 12 year old, potentially the 12 year old's yes. opinion. And, and then, as you read through the whole thing, yes, that is that is definitely um, what this bill is aimed at doing. And it lists the people who would be considered for 
like service or for help for the child. And so it says this bill would add a registered psychologist, a registered psychological assistant, a psycho psychological trainee. What okay? is that like an intern? Basically. An associate clinical social worker, a social work intern. I mean, you are a social work intern in college, like a clinical counselor trainee working under the supervision of a licensed professional and a board certified psychiatrist to the definition of professional person to the definition of professional person for these purposes. And this bill would take effect July 1st. Um, 2024. And so you see those who are, they are saying would be added to the list for those able to consult and work with the child, but the parent is not on here. That, so from your perspective, you, you feel like that's a, that's a deliberate omission. It's just talking about only the, all these mental health people. And your question is, is where are the parents? Mm-hmm. So then they go on with this other wording here is, about children's mental health and that we rank in the 48th in the nation for providing children with mental health care. Um, one half of California's children are covered by Medi-Cal. That's kind of a frightening number. Um, the majority of whom are black and children of color, low income teens, indigenous youth. Then they talk about um, the suicide rate uh shocking 78% of LGBT youth who were surveyed shared that they had considered suicide. So it's kind of all wrapped up in conversation about LGBT teen suicide, but also under letter F, um, how mental health issues are, are complicated by pervasive social stigma and centuries of systemic oppression by government programs that create legitimate fears for family to engage in services. So there's some conversation there about systemic issues as well. Yes. And so systemic issues aside and, you know, what their, whatever their reasoning is, the question that I continually go back to is what is it about kids that are, that interests our government so strongly? Mm -hmm. The, especially this California government, um, and like Washington state, there there are some deep measures being taken to really intervene in the life of your child and to remove parents as far as they can from their child. Going as far as to say, we will, you know, be if this law passes and your child requests to be able to go into a emergency placement will consult the parent if it, if the child gives permission, sees warrant, like a 12 year old, they can't drive, can't drink, can't smoke, can't do math. Like you, you don't even know algebra. I don't think in at 12 years old, like would they don't vote. At what time do we ever give 12 year olds the access to making life altering decisions? Well, we don't. In the United States of America, we do not allow 12-year-olds to make life-altering decisions unless it is regarding their sexuality. Well, and that's the thing is that some of this wording is just so vague that if they were the alleged victim of incest or child abuse. But and but then how are we defining child abuse? This mm-hmm. this is the question that 
to me must be answered. And it, because that could be defined as parents who reject yes, their the LGBTQ plus ideology. Yeah. Because already within every state in the nation, if your child reports sexual abuse, there are ways in which that is handled, especially if they report it at school or at a church. There are ways legally that that has to be handled. If your child is the victim of incest or some kind of sexual um, you know, abuse or something like that, and they are removed from the home, all of these things are already written into law. And, and into the policies in which, you know, social workers and mandated reporters and all of these people participate. The only thing that it seems to be changing in this is the LGBTQ plus and minority status. So what is it about the children so Bob, that go to, interests our government? Bob, go to section one, letter H. This is some interesting wording here. It says for LGBTQ plus youth, the rejection from parents, harassment in school, and overall, and then they change the wording LGBTQ to LGBTQ+, so we get the whole alphabet, I guess. Negativity pre present in society can lead to depression, anxiety, drug and alcohol use, and other negative outcomes. Over one half of surveyed LGBTQ+, youth reported not being able to get permission from their parents or guardians was sometimes or always a barrier to accessing mental health services. Hmm. Well, I have a lot of questions about this kind of vague language mm -hmm. is, well, what is qualifying as mental health services? What is the, the agenda or the, the, the goal of that mental health service. They haven't proved causation. Yeah. They may have proved or they may have claimed a correlation. Yeah. But they haven't mentioned anything about a cause. So you could say that 80% of women experience depression. Does that mean that because you're a woman, you're automatically going to be depressed? Like what is there? Is there a cause what's the cause or is there just some kind of correlation that we notice but again our government is more concerned with protecting a young person who may think that they are you know identifying as lgbtq plus in this moment and getting them to quickly transition to quickly have mental health services that are in line with this ideology so that now they are more convinced than ever and that their parents are the wicked ones rather than offering them any alternative you know measure or allowing parents to be able to decide what is best for their children yeah so this is what's on the horizon uh you you're always trying to sound the alarm monique about the issue of seeing children as a marginalized group. Yes. And as part of the critical social theories, thinking about critical child studies, do you see this as a, as a fruit of that? Of yes. here's it's kind of the intersection of queer theory and critical child studies. Yes. Yes. And this because of the race component that's written within the bill, I would say, is a combination of critical race theory, critical child studies and critical queer theory. And that's why you and I are always talking about 
this is not actually just a conversation about race. No. It's it's all of the critical social theories are entangled with each other. And that is why we have to be very careful in how we talk about these things. Yes. Elaine says division between classes, races, ages and sexes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are an adult, you just may be considered the oppressor because of your age. And so this new childhood narrative or critical childhood narrative, um, critical childhood theory and looking at the what happens over the span of a child's life and in childhood. It's just Marxism being applied to your children. Okay, final comment for the week. Uh, Karen says, I'm concerned that when they, quote unquote, consult with the minor child and the child decides to leave the house, they may end up in a situation they regret regret later. But a downward spiral is already set into motion. I have worked with those exact cases with children who are now removed from the home and it's now I made a mistake or I lied or this happened or this didn't happen, but it's, it's too late now. We have to go through all the processes and the system is not kind to kids. And so we have, this is, this is why I said that um, Juan's comments and his story were so um, pertinent and united with, with this um, bill, because it's going to take courage to say hands off my kid. And I'm going to defend my kid. I'm going to courageously stand for my kid no matter what, because if my kid ever gets, you know, confused or thinks that this is the road that they should go down, they still warrant your protection. And and that we're going to have to be willing as believers, as parents, as aunts and uncles to stand for our kids. So, again, this is Assembly Bill number 665 not to be confused with 666. In the state of California, uh, it's been amended in the Senate. Uh, I don't know what its status is right now. It was amended just a few days ago. Yeah. So anyways, this is the Minors Consent to Health Services Bill. You know, I wish somebody would do like a, a, a backstory or some research on like the wiener guy or um he sure does propose a lot of these a lot of bills regarding kids and they sex and their sex like it's always oh there's wiener again who who says as a grown man i think i'm gonna write a bill for for kids to be free sexually it's a little strange it is peculiar somebody get on that want some independent journalist get on that yeah all right (laughs) bob's Oh, there he is. Senate District 11. Yeah. Scott Wiener. That's his public page. It's out there for everybody to see. He's in San Francisco. You guys, you need to ask the question of what... (laughs) Someone needs to ask some questions about What's going on that our government... That are are those that, that are in charge of our nation, of our states... Want to know where your kids are placing their genitals at night or in the day or how, talking about what? Them. Yeah. Talk, why? Why is anybody concerned with your kids? What are we doing? Private parts and what they're doing at an age when your kids don't even truly have any understanding of what sexuality truly is. Yeah. 
we need to ask other questions. All right. With that, uh, make sure you're subscribed to all the things, the website where we send out the um, alert on Friday mornings, letting you know when we're going to have a live show and what's happening, as well as pointing you to other resources. So just go to allthethings.com and sign up for our newsletter. Also, make sure you're subscribed at uh, centerforbiblicalunity.com for our weekly newsletter there on Sunday mornings. All right. With that... We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.